Welcome to the Revival Leadership Podcast, where we're helping kingdom leaders become revival leaders. I'm your host, Adam Croft, joining you from Providence, Rhode Island, where I serve in campus ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as the Area Ministry Director in Rhode Island and Southeastern Massachusetts. And I'll be joined in a minute by Greg Johnson, a colleague of mine who oversees InterVarsity's work on the south coast of New England. And Greg is sort of our resident revival expert. Uh, He studies revival in his spare time, and he even studied it in a more formal capacity when he was finishing up his MDiv. In addition to studying revival, both Greg and I are seeking to become revival leaders. Uh, We're trying to leverage our leadership positions in InterVarsity and in Sanctuary Church, uh, the church planting network we help to lead here in Providence, to lead our friends, colleagues, folks we supervise or disciple towards a a greater seeking of God for revival in our time and context. And as we'll talk about later in the podcast, revival is a consistent dynamic in the history of God's people. Revival is always something that God does. He alone is the cause of revival when it happens. But God always uses people in his divine purposes, including revival. And that's the reason this is called the Revival Leadership Podcast. God always brings about his kingdom by incarnation, by inhabiting human effort, and this is the case in revival as well. So it's our hope in this podcast um, to learn about revival and to learn about what kind of leadership is needed in revival. Uh, so that by God's grace, we can prepare for it when it comes. Today on the podcast, we're going to introduce the concept of revival uh, and talk about why it's important and needed today, especially here in the West. And we'll share a little bit of our own stories going forward as well. So welcome again to the Revival Leadership Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. Uh, We pray that God uses this podcast so uh, seeds of encouragement and vision in your life and ministry for him to do more, exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine, and to do, as we'll find out in a minute, what he has done in the past. Well, today, um, kind of in our introductory episode, we really just want to spend some time to introduce ourselves Uh, for you guys to know who we are and why we're excited about this, and to really introduce the concept of revival and invite you on a kind of digital audio journey with us to continue to explore uh, this concept. Um, And, you know, you might have clicked on this or somebody sent it to you out of curiosity. um, And there's a lot of misconceptions about revival. Uh, I mean, just take a second and think what comes to mind for you when you think about the word revival. Uh, For me, when I first started learning about it, it's pictures of tent meetings, hellfire and brimstone preaching, um, or like an evangelistic crusade that humans organize, you know, like, you know, signs on the side of the road that say, revival is happening 4 p.m. this Sunday, come join us, cook out afterwards, or something like that. Um, Or maybe it's something that's happened a long time ago in American history class, those guys with the powdered wigs, you know, (laughs) holding their arms out over a crowd a crowd of swooning women but it seems like something old and uh weird sounding but or even foreign if you've been to uh, on a mission trip to somewhere else in the globe and yeah. you've seen uh things that you don't see often happen here yeah. um like oh revival is something that happens over there yeah um, or in the past 
So before, Greg, we get to the why, I'd love for you to give us uh, our working definition of yeah. revival. Yeah, well, what I would say is there's a lot of ways to define revival, but number one, first and foremost, unlike the kind of evangelistic crusade or the big tent, revival theologically is not something that human beings do or initiate. In fact, it's something that God does from time to time throughout history, that he um, He infuses his people with divine life um, and causes uh, the church, the people of God, to flourish spiritually and to be empowered to do their mission. One, one way that some of our colleagues uh, on staff with InterVarsity have defined it, which I really like and I think is a great definition, is um, revival is a season of breakthrough in word, deed, and power initiated by the Holy Spirit that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. And so it's really that season of breakthrough that's sent by the Holy Spirit that brings about this new normal that um, is actually a pattern throughout uh, the history of the church. And, um, and that's what we want to explore and talk about in this podcast. So it's more of a, a breakthrough season uh, versus a particular event or a day. It's not like a one-time thing. You're saying it's more of a uh, fluid, dynamic yes. section of time. Yeah, it's like it's a, it's, a, it's a special section of time in the timeline of the church. It's almost like a, a moment where God um, breaks in. Isaiah 64, um, in Isaiah 64, Isaiah says, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down and Many people have talked about these times of revival as times when it's almost as if God parted the heavens and personally stepped down into history. Mm-hmm. And where before, you know, he was, he was omnipresent, these times of revival, people sensed his royal presence, his manifest presence among them. And, uh, and amazing things happened. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that um, God can do more in... Uh, one day in revival than man and all his organizing can do in 50 years. And so um, it's an exciting concept. It's part of what pumps us up about it, right, Adam? That's right. Christianity in the West is not doing very well. And, you know, uh, I think you and I were looking at, what what was it, like a Barna study? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the quotes from it is, um, each generation uh, is is less Christian than the last one. Yep. Um, another study I think that um, in the last ten years the the church's um, religious affiliation has declined faster at a faster clip than at any point in American history. Yeah, everyone's talking about the rise of the nuns. They have N O N E S. They have no religious affiliation, yeah, no religious background, no, nothing at all, and. Um, and, and Gen Z is, is full of nuns, in fact, uh, walking around in their white habits. <laughs> no, Gen Z, the, the latest generation just to hit college right now, is, is uh, uh, the first kind of truly post-Christian generation in America. So, yeah, we're in a state of decline. And, I mean, I, we've experienced this on campus, right? That's Adam? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just with that, there seems to be, it's not so much that people are uh, more hostile or closed to things of faith. It's just that they have less experience than ever before mm-hmm. uh, with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, Adam and I, you and I have been in this campus ministry business for a combined um, 25 years, I guess, now. So I think that makes us experts, if there are any, in the spirituality of, of each kind of successive generation. And, I mean... For us, sometimes I, I feel like our, our experience on campus is like like being on a hamster wheel a little bit. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're working pretty hard um, and, and we're seeing a lot of fruit. We're seeing students come to faith. We're, um, uh, we're seeing a lot of really great things happen, but it's almost like we're moving backwards even as we're... One step forward, two steps back. Yeah, yeah. Like the ground beneath our feet is like literally moving backwards away from God, even as we're running towards Him and dragging a bunch of people along. Walking the wrong way on an escalator. Yeah, we're like walking the wrong (laughs) way on an escalator. In fact, you know, InterVarsity is the the largest campus ministry in New England, Um, but the, the amount, the percent of college students that we're reaching is actually shrinking with every year, even as we grow. And so that's, that's the, the, the state that we're in, and that's just a microcosm of it. Like, yeah. Churches are experiencing this uh, all over the place. Every, you know, most denominations are in a, a state of decline right now. So. Yeah, and like similar to the, the hamster wheel analogy is great, I think. There's different ways that we are all tempted to respond to that reality. Uh, for me, I know one is to just try harder, and that's just run faster yeah. on the hamster wheel. Be the hamster. Be the hamster. <laughs> just go for the run hamster. Run, buddy, run. Yeah, yeah, just keep going, try harder. Maybe try some new things and try them harder than you did before. Um, and that, that obviously doesn't work either. But Well, where maybe it works for a short period of time. Eventually, you just you, you keel over. And, right. And Eventually, you got to stop. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I think another one is um, another option of this hamster wheel is, well, just apathy. Well, I just, screw this. I don't, you know, like, I guess things are just falling apart and we need to lower our expectations for yeah. what God can do, right? Yeah. What, you know, I guess we just get used to it. Yeah. Frog in the water or whatever. Um, I also think another form of, of apathy is just, Kind of the response the the fundamentalist church had in the early 20th century when it saw the culture moving in a different direction. It just kind of, instead of engaging the culture, there's our fan went on. Uh, instead of engaging the culture, it just um, it just withdrew, you know, and circled the wagons. Another temptation um, when we encounter the the decline is to kind of believe in the magic silver bullet. Like there's Uh, one strategy or one uh, course of action that'll kind of unlock this potential. Um, And not to pick on any of these because we actually like and have used them all, but things like let's go deeper in discipleship with 3DM or let's plant new ministries or let's plant more churches or let's focus on, um, you know, growing the number of students in our chapters, whatever it is might be and none of those are bad in and of themselves yeah um, but the temptation can be to put all our eggs in that basket yeah well the reason things are falling apart is because we just need to do this and if we only do this strategy you know it's gonna fix all our problems you know and um i know in university this is our big this is our we're, we're just constantly like like jumping from one yeah. you know new silver bullet to the next and yeah. You're around long enough, you kind of have a little a he- healthy skepticism yeah. about silver bullets, and 
their ability to, you know, totally turn things around. Yeah. Um, I think I think a, a last one, and this is, you know, they're all dangerous temptations to get sucked into. But, you know, obviously another one is well, gosh, it, we just probably you know look at how, look at the bad PR that you know Christianity has right now. Um, it it must mean that what we need to do is really update the faith, right? So. Yeah. Um, let's let's change the faith because it's kind of old fashioned. It has a lot of you know outdated things in it, and let's make it really fit the times a little better. Yep. So, you know, I don't know if you want to talk more about this, Adam, but I th- I think one thing is sexuality right now is a huge area where man, if we could just change a few things about the kind of traditional biblical Orthodox Christianity, like just get rid of the thing where. You just have to have monogamous heterosexual marriage, you know, as the as the ethic. Um, I I think it would be much more appealing to our culture, right? right. And so, you know, we just need to change change the faith. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting about that one is that this temptation's been with Christians all the way back. There have always been these points of doctrine that the surrounding culture has not liked very much. And um, there have always been folks that are just really have their ear to the cultural um, train track, as it were. <laughs> and, and they, you know, they kind of try to uh, uh, ameliorate the faith to the, to the cultural moment. And what's interesting, though, is like you look back on all those in the past and it looks kind of silly, you know, yeah. it looks like. But anyway, that's yeah. that's a temptation there. So those are you know those are ways we tempt we're tempted to respond to decline. And none of them really really work. Um, so that leaves. What else can we do? What can we do? Right, the culture's declining around us. I mean, it's a little bit like Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? He's mm-hmm. He's surrounded by 450 prophets of Baal. Um, what can he do, Adam, exactly? What can he do? Well, well, call on God to show up. He can, yeah. And and that's what Elijah does. He he is in a state of religious apostasy and decline. And his only option, his only option, is for God to show up and reveal himself. And, so, and that's what happens in 1 Kings 18, right? He... He builds the altar, um, you know, the, the prophets of Baal build their altar, and they cry on Baal, who, who doesn't show up because he's not a real god. Yep. But when I, Elijah calls on the Lord, God shows up. And really, that's just, that is a picture for us of revival, is God actually showing up and revealing that he is God, that he exists, that he's... Uh, the center of things, and uh, and everybody takes notice. Yeah. So, Greg, I'll be the skeptic. Um, that's great. It's in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, a long time ago. There's stuff in Acts, right, in the New <laughs> Testament too. But that's also a long time ago. But what hope do you see of God showing up today? Yeah. What hope do we have? Well, um, He is real, and we do believe in Him. Fair um, enough. Yeah, and um, and we look back through history, and he's showed up before. You know, he showed up repeatedly, and especially when things didn't look good. You know, things got to the end. In fact, one 
one time, you know, around around the time of the American Revolution, um, right afterwards, the the whole Western world was in a fairly you know fairly profound anti-Christian mood, and the Enlightenment was in full swing. Um, and uh, I think at one point Voltaire declared that Christianity was on its deathbed, and within 30 years would be on the ash heap of history. And uh, and the church heard that, you know, and, and even many of the churches in the U.S. were shutting down at that point. Mm-hmm. They closed down, I forget, it was the Presbyterian, the Episcopal, you know, uh, church in New York because there was nobody coming. Um, bishops were hanging up their crook on the <laughs> <laughs> and their miter. Um, but then the church began praying and God poured out the Second Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been many revivals in the past, it's, and it's been a repeated pattern, not just Elijah, but... Um, and in America, there have been multiple seasons of revival or awakening, um, but it's just been a while since the last one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it might be good to note that, um, and Greg, you probably have a little bit more uh, examples than I do, but revival is not just a... Uh, it, it, it transcends, the dynamic of revival transcends cultures and times and places. It does. So there's East African revival, there's revival happening in Asia, there's Scottish revivals, there's a Second Great Awakening in America, um, there's probably others, but it, it's... This Latin American revivals, um, revival right now in China, mm-hmm. yeah, um, no, definitely, and there's a book by, um, I think it's Mark Shaw, Global Awakenings, that actually traces 20th century awakenings all throughout um, the globe. So we kind of have this, you could also say we have this hope that the dynamic of revival of God showing up is not tied to a particular people or culture uh, that that God can and does interact and move um, in all those places and all those times. So he can do it here. He can do it here, yeah. He can do it here and... um, and he has been, in fact, one of the reasons why the center of global Christianity has shifted to the south and the east is because God has brought revivals in those places. And, um, and you know, so this is actually kind of personal for us, isn't it, Adam? I mean, yeah. we, we let, the concept of revival is important, but um, both of us have stories of, of our own, per, like, this is personally important to us and Mm -hmm. speaking of global revivals i mean that that is my story and i'll just share for a minute of um my own journey around revival really began uh, in 2008 um we were going on a a summer missions project with intervarsity to uganda and um you know every person that goes on a summer mission project thinks god's going to use them to bless you know, whatever culture they're going to, oftentimes it really turns out to be more of a pilgrimage. You go and you actually discover something about God that you didn't know before you left. And that is totally what happened to me um, in Uganda. And I think I went I went to Uganda with a question, and the question had to do with the hamster wheel that we've been talking about. It had to do with the fact that I'd been a, a campus minister um, at that point, for um, six years, um, I'd been working hard, raised money, you know, to go tell these college students about Jesus. I really hadn't seen 
more than a handful of students come to faith. And, um, and to be more, even more honest, I, didn't, I don't think I believed that God could do that. I don't think I really believed that God could. I wanted God to touch the university, um, to bring systemic change to the university, and really to, to the West, of which the university is the leadership incubator. Um, but I hadn't seen it. And so um, that was kind of the, the, uh, the this holy discontent in my heart as I went to Uganda. Um, what I saw there was a church that was um, alive and powerful in different ways than I'd ever seen before. So we spent a lot of time, you know, I was, I was 28 years old. We spent a lot of time with college-age kids, 19, 20-year-olds, that were um, not only um, leading churches, but they had planted churches in the inner city of Kampala, and they had thousands of people coming to these churches, um, coming to faith regularly, um, and they were doing some amazing work in the city. And I just began to ask myself, where does all this kind of life and power come from? And I haven't seen anything like this in my own context. And so I began to ask them. At first I thought, well, it's just cultural, something about Uganda, you know, just the culture allows for this or whatever. Um, but as I begin to ask them, um, all in so many of the conversations, the kind of, the story of the Ugandan church kept coming up. And I discovered that recently, in the mid-20th century, there had been a powerful revival in Uganda called the East African Revival. And that much of the preaching and the authority and the power and the zeal and the spiritual life that I was encountering was actually a legacy, a fruit, a byproduct of that revival. And, um, and it, it stirred my heart. And, um, and I wanted to know, well, is it, could it ever be possible that God would bring revival like that to New England? And, um, and I, I, I honestly, in my heart, thought, no, I don't think he can do it there. Because I think people are so closed off and whatever. Um, but the Ugandan, my Ugandan friends, really challenged me. And they said, no, God can do this anywhere. And in fact, they were the ones that uh, told me, reminded me that... Um, the revival, uh, one of the first modern evangelical awakenings began right here in New England, began in Northampton, Massachusetts, uh, the first great awakening. And, um, and the so Ugandans reminded you of that. They did, yeah. Wow. They reminded me. And they said, yeah, they're probably, um, and I didn't even understand what any of this meant at the time, but I was like, how could we begin uh, seeing that? And they said, well, it starts with prayer. And um, there are probably wells of revival that need to be unstopped. And I had no clue what they, what they meant by that. And I still don't know if I totally do. But at the end of that trip, you know, we saw so many wonderful things. But I asked God, what do you want me to take away from this time in Uganda? And I remember one of the first times he kind of spoke almost audibly to me. Um, and I wrote it down. And I, I couldn't forget it even today. He said, Build the altars of prayer and worship, unstop the wells of revival, and prepare for awakening. So that was that. And, yeah. um, um, and, you know, I had no idea what to do with it. So uh, 
you know, I told a few people and they're like, wow, that's something else. <laughs> Very cool, Greg. Yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> so I kind of just came back and honestly, I just sat on it, Adam. I didn't do anything with it. I kind of went back to doing ministry the way I'd been used to in the hamster back wheel. The hamster wheel. And um, trying really hard and um, looking for silver bullets. And, um, and I sat on that word from God, that calling from God for seven years. Um, in that time, though, God kept speaking to me about it, kept bringing it up in uncomfortable ways. And finally, 2015, um, I, um, I ended up embracing that call. And that's part of why we're doing this podcast here. I drew a line in the sand. I said, okay, God, you know, I'm going to lead towards, lead out of this longing and calling for revival. And um, if, I, if I leave InterVarsity, you know, because they're not on board, that's fine. I, but I have to do this. So, um, and since then, um, man, it's been, it's been an amazing journey. So, but I, I feel like we're just beginning. So that's where my kind of heart for revival came and and I feel like I'm just beginning this journey Adam you're you're beginning this journey Mm -hmm. and much of my story comes out of Greg's obedience to his story to his uh, calling um, from the Lord and I'll share a little bit more um, of my own journey next time on the podcast stay tuned stay tuned um (laughs) But Greg, thank you for sharing that. I yeah, think that's a really helpful kind of story to have in the background as people are listening to know, like, where did this come from for you? Yeah, um, and where did all this learning come from? And I wonder, there's something, you know, seven years. That sounds biblical. Yeah, and now this yeah. is the eighth year. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful that you know, my my friend um, Ryan, who's a mentor of mine, he said, you know, it's almost like. I, this was a, seven years later. I was telling him about my journey, and he's like, "Wow, it's like in 2008, God planted a seed in your heart for this, and uh, and luckily you didn't kill it, you know. But you haven't really been trying to do anything with it, and grow anything with it, and water it, nourish it, and so. Uh, but it isn't dead, and so it has come back. But you know, the one thing that has been striking to me, Adam, is how 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 actually non-unique my story is. Mm. There are so many other um, Christian leaders all over, um, I think, the whole country right now that have this this deep-down sense that we need God to show up. We need God to do something in this moment, in this time, in this place. We need, um, we need God to move as he has in the past. And um, there's a lot of just discontent with, um, doing ministry the way we've been doing it. Mm-hmm. There has to be something more. And um, I just sense that almost a, uh, almost a universal longing in the church, just bubbling up, waiting mm-hmm. for God to move. And, mm-hmm. and I'm encouraged that I'm not the only one, you're not the only one, Adam, that longs for this. And so, um, so anyway, we're going we're gonna to dive into this in the coming weeks and months. Um, and uh, we want to invite you guys into this journey with us. I want to invite you to explore um, the concept of revival, to learn about past revivals, but also um, to become revival leaders. And um, that's the goal of this podcast, is to help kingdom leaders become revival leaders. And um, God actually doesn't just 
you know, send revival, he's actually looking for human partners. He always looks for human partners uh, to lead revival. And um, our prayer is that we get to be some of those people, and, yeah. and so would you. So would you. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast, everyone. We're planning to do one of these once a month, so hopefully you'll join us uh, next month for another another episode. If you liked it, if you think you'll like it, do us a favor, like it on um, wherever you get your podcasts, review it, maybe even share it with a friend or two, uh, folks in your life or in your ministry who you think this will be an encouragement to. Um, also, podcasting surprisingly costs a little bit of money to do and to do it well. So we've started a Patreon page. And if you feel like you'd like to help get this podcast off the ground financially, uh, it's not a huge cost, but you can go over to the Patreon page and see what some of the expenses are. And if you want to throw some support our way, that would be greatly appreciated. That'll help us to continue to do this and actually only improve the quality and frequency of the podcast as we go forward. All right, that's it for us. We'll see you next month on the Revival Leadership Podcast.